Well, hello, and welcome to the Well After Hours. I'm your host, Beverly Allen, and I'm so glad to welcome you back to another conversation around the well. Today, my special guest is a pastor, uh, a community pastor, whose voice and servant leadership extends far beyond his local church community, all the way to local government, where he's been working hard to really bring about change and impact the lives of all people, but particularly those in the black and brown community as a representative voice. I want to welcome my special guest today, Reverend Councilman H. William Rutherford III to the well. Thank you for coming to the well today, Pastor. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's it's so good to have you here. And I want to get started and I want to, you know, we put your bio. I know everybody saw your bio in the opening, but I would like them to hear a little bit from you about yourself. Would you speak to the viewers for just briefly for a minute or two? Uh, sure. Um, so glad to be here today. Uh, Bill Rutherford. So please call me Bill or Pastor Bill. Uh, I am the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Orange on the corner of William and Park Street. I've been the pastor there for the past 10 years. Um, the church does a tremendous amount of community service work. Uh, this Later this month, we're having uh, worship in the park, partnering with one of the nonprofits that we've incubated, uh, Not Orange. And together that day, in addition to a whole bunch of other things, we'll give away over 300 backpacks uh, filled with school supplies uh, to help folks in the community. Uh, but we have a food pantry, soup kitchen. We had a job fair pre-COVID that placed over 4,000 people in employment. Uh, we do free math tutoring, uh, NA and AA. Uh, our job fair had a drug counselor on site. We had a grant for adult education. So we really build the services around what the people who come to us need. Um, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Now, I have to say, uh, as pastor, I get the credit and the blame, but there really is a full team of folks that make all of that happen. And I'm really grateful to all of them, including my, my officers and leaders at the church. Now, in addition to being a pastor, I'm a councilman. In West Orange, I was elected two years ago. I'm running for mayor right now. Excited about that opportunity as well, um, and really looking forward to serving the 50,000, almost 50,000 residents of West Orange, New Jersey, in an even greater capacity. Um, one last thing about me, I think you should know, and it's in my bio. I spent 23 years as an asset manager before uh, walking away from banking to focus on uh, being a full-time pastor, uh, and that you know gave me a certain skill set that I. Uh, bring to bear both with my leadership in the church uh, as well as uh, in local government. That, you know, uh, people who have heard now, have heard you present all of this, won't know unless we tell them that community service has been a part of all of your youthful life. I mean, uh, it didn't just start, you know, in adulthood. It I read in your bio where you were also, you know, you were in mentoring programs, tutoring uh you know, young people and also volunteering in soup kitchens, you know, and doing many things throughout New Jersey. So it's no wonder that you are sitting where you are now. And that that opens up another question for me that I wanted to ask you as sure. a pastor and as a servant leader, would you say that the um, actual calling, you know, uh, has has changed or would you say has has changed, or would you say that the 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 call should change the actual you know community or the service that a pastor 
provides because I was I was thinking about that and I I'm like you know the times have changed so much and having gone through COVID you know pastors have been wrestling with a lot of things and I said well wait a minute has the calling changed or you know should the call actually change the times? So so uh, if I understand your correct your question correctly I don't I don't think the calling has changed mm -hmm. I think how we express ourselves within the call uh, should change with the times. Um, if you look historically at the Black Baptist Church in particular, but um, churches in general, uh, churches were at their strongest historically when they focused on the issues that mattered most to their congregants. You know, that involves fighting for social justice and, and social equity. That involves standing up for, um, you know, folks that are marginalized or oppressed. It involves, you know, speaking truth to power about issues that really affect, you know, the kitchen tables of the people that come to church on Sunday morning. If all you're doing is singing and shouting on Sunday morning, you're really missing the real part. You know, the ministry is about the whole person. You know, worship is wonderful. You need that moment. I, I look forward to it on Sundays, but I think it's important to do the work on, on Monday through Saturday. So the expression of the call uh, has to change. Now, there are different churches for different people. Um, and different churches find or, or, or different types of faith find how they express themselves differently, too. Not one institution can do it all. But I do think it's important uh, that the character of the institution extends beyond the four walls of the church itself. And that requires leadership that's willing to get out of the four walls, get into the community, figure out what's needed and where they can best apply their resources to help meet that need. Well, you just said uh, you just said a mouthful right there. But, you know, um, speaking of like pastors, like what they're doing in these times as far as like coming together, are there do you find that there are more alliances that are being formed across even denominational lines and not just rather ethnically, you know, as well to try to help, you know, uh, resolve some of the issues and the problems that really will filter down into everybody's community if they're not addressed. So I, I think there it, it depends on where you are. There are some towns and even some counties that have greater interfaith or ecumenical relationships amongst the uh, various uh, you know clergy leadership, um, and in those spaces you will see a collaborative effort to address. Uh, some of those issues that affect everybody. Um, and then some spaces you don't. And I, I don't know exactly why that is the case, uh, but I do know you get better outcomes when you, you're willing to work with folks uh, that worship differently than you, that believe differently than you. And, you know, the way I teach it, even people that don't believe, you know, you, I, I believe in God, I believe in Christ. That's the way that I've chosen. But I think uh, God expresses God's self in a myriad of ways. Um, and we can benefit from relationships, even with people who don't believe in God at all. Uh, and it's not always our ability to even, you know, help them see something different. But at the end of the day, we want to do what Christ asked us to do. At least this is how I teach it at Ebenezer. Um, you know, did you clothe the naked? Did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the sick and in prison? Right. Um, Jesus said, I didn't come to save the righteous, to call the righteous. Right. Yes. Um, but sinners to repentance, right? He says, you know, when you're when you're when you're healthy, you don't really go. You don't need to see the doctor. It's the sick that need to see the doctor, right? So that implies that there are some folks that are doing okay, 
And we need to focus on those that aren't, right? And we need to apply our relationships and our resources in ways that help bring them along. Uh, and I know that's a controversial topic and not many, uh, not, not everyone will agree with that, uh, but I do believe God created everybody. Uh, and I think we owe it to ourselves to be open to those relationships, no matter where they come from, no matter where people are in their faith journey, and even if they're not on a faith journey. That is so true. And, you know, uh, listening to you and and feeling your passion about, you know, all that you're doing, you know, and to see how you have kind of merged, you know, not just um, the spiritual, but to go into what people would call a political arena, which really is just another area of service, you know, uh, a broader area of service where you can, you know, kind of do both, have a voice in both, um, you know, kind of circles and very needful and necessary. What helped you to really make that decision to get into government to have a, a you know, a stronger voice? Uh, so that, that's a very good question. A lot of folks, um, some people don't believe that uh, clergy should be in elected politics. Obviously, I'm not one of those. Uh, I believe uh, clergy should express themselves in every aspect of society, and uh, not in order to proselytize or to convert someone to their religion, uh, but to bring about the principles, in, in my case, love, uh, into those spaces, because love you know, is there's you can't get too much of it. I believe when that Stevie Wonder that said that or one of those <laughs> R&B singers, um, you know, uh, there's another song what the world needs now is love. Uh, you know, so if we bring that kind of principle into those spaces, I think we get better outcomes. Um, now, I've grown up around politics. I've grown up in community service. My my parents, both of them um, are were com community servants, both active in the church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, my dad's also a former state president of the NAACP. Uh, so I grew up around it um, and interacting with politicians literally, you know, since I was a, a boy um, and have always felt like there's an opportunity to do really good work there, too. As a matter of fact, you can do even greater work there, given the impact you can have uh, based on your platform, the budget, the uh, opportunities that you can create and present to people. Uh, but for me as a member of the clergy, I think it's important that, you know, I bring the principles that are most important to me into those spaces. It's not always easy. Um, you know, politics can be um, can be destructive. It can be um, divisive. Um, and but it is the job of a pastor to try and bridge those uh, to bridge those gaps as well and bring people along. Now, I, I don't claim to be perfect at it. Uh, you know, it does get on my nerves sometimes, too. Um, and all you have to do is look at any of our council meetings uh, to see. Um, but I do think it's still important to bring those principles in that space um, and extend the olive branch a million times if you have to, to work across the aisle. I, you know, I, I think um, politics right now, especially you see the headlines with all the, the January 6th things going on and the Trump, uh, you know, uh, roiling up. Uh, parts of the country to uh, engage in acts of violence. I think it's really important uh, that we bring a level of calm and peace um, to these uh, deliberations and to the process uh, to kind of get rid of some of that stuff. It's here too. You know, we live in New Jersey. Um, Donald Trump did not win New Jersey in either of his campaigns, um, but he still got, you know, 20% of the vote in, in, in my town and 
you know, he's gotten a portion of the vote in pretty much every town. And so those folks are aggrieved. Some of them are uh, extreme. They're extremists on every side. Um, and we've got to do what we can to kind of bring the temperature down uh, so that we don't see some of the outcomes we see in, in other places. And that is the job, you know, of folks that are faithful, whether you're a member of the clergy or not. And, you know, we do need um, people of integrity and people who do have some solid footing in every area, whether it's, you know, on the judicial bench <laughs> or no matter where, our faith should go with us into every arena. And um, it's almost um, like when uh, Jesus said with the coin, he said, whose face is on this coin? He said, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Now, we know that, you know, we're run by rules, by government. We have to have some type of uh, relationship in government. And Absolutely. We, we, get, we get greedy. We don't want our spiritual leaders, in a sense, to be contaminated, as we think, you know, by that. But if they had not been involved, even over the years and many years, we wouldn't even have the strides and the, the progress that we've had. And it's, I don't, it, it's, it's a balancing act. Maybe you can speak to how you're able to balance the two, because you, those are two extremely demanding, <laughs> you know, occupations to have. <laughs> I, I I I am tired right now. Um, <laughs> we were trying to figure out how to get the lighting right, so I didn't look quite as tired as I am. Um, it is a real challenge to balance that. In addition to all of that, and even more important than all of that, I'm also a husband and a father of three girls, and I take my role as husband and father seriously, so I do spend as much time uh, with my family as I possibly can. Um, the, the way that I've balanced it so far you know, there are some spaces where I am acting as a councilman and there are other spaces where I'm acting as a pastor and I try not to mix the two. Um, what I've done, too, is I, I don't get caught up in titles. So I tell everybody to call me Bill. Uh, and, and that's fine with me. Uh, I, you know, unless you're trying to be disrespectful, it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I want people to feel like I'm approachable and accessible. Uh, that's a part of my training as a pastor. And I, I do bring that into politics as well. Uh, it makes it difficult to answer every phone call and text message, every email message. I do encourage people to call and text because I get that quick, much more quickly than email. Um, but it, it's still a challenge. Uh, I do the best I can and I try to level set. I tell people, you know, I may not respond quickly or even at all to some of your text messages, but I will do the work. I will advocate for the issue. And here's the other thing you just mentioned a moment ago about integrity. You know, what we really need in politics are people that are going to say what they mean yeah. and do what they say. Um, and so, listen, I, you know, I'm a Democrat, but I, I, I don't mince words. Um, you know, African-Americans in particular have given our vote to Democrats historically uh, and they make promises during election season and then they get elected sometimes uh, with a margin that is very slim uh, and easily could have gone the other way had we not shown up. Uh, and then our needs get, you know, relegated to the back burner. I, I, I think it's time out for that. Um, you know, we can just be fair. I, this isn't to take anything away from white people or uh, non-Christians or uh, anyone, right? I think we can be fair. And that's really the message of the gospel too, right? Like, let's just be fair to everyone. Treat everyone, right? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say love your this kind of neighbor or that kind of neighbor, it says, love your neighbor. That's everybody, right? 
love your neighbor as yourself. And if we do that, if we're just fair to people, we'll all do better. All of us will get better outcomes. Um, and, you know, and if we do that, people will then want to reelect us. I know a lot of politicians are very concerned about getting elected. I am right now in this campaign. I would would certainly like to win this campaign. I'm doing everything I can to do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm not willing to sell out who I am. Uh, I'm not willing to trade my name in and my reputation that I've built essentially my entire adult life um, to get a vote. So if, if people vote for me, they're going to vote for me, not who I'm pretending to be, not who I tell them I'm going to be. And I think that's also, a, a, you know, that's, that's, that's the integrity piece that you were talking about um, that too often is missing in politics uh, that I think people of faith, again, whether you're in the clergy or not, uh, can help bring to that space. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. So <laughs> yeah. on your calling, I mean, you know, sometimes we don't understand people's callings as to why they do this or that, but God knows. And the fact of the matter is you just have to follow what you know the Lord is calling you to do and to do it with all your might and leave it in the rest of it in the hands of the Lord. And that's true for so many, I think, pastors even today, as far as like arming themselves to to be able to make an impact and to be effective. What would you say that um, a pastor should equip himself with regardless of what community he serves in? So what I, what I teach folks, and this is not, you know, I, I think pastors are on a faith journey too. Uh, their faith journey is unique to them, just like everyone's faith journey is unique to them. Uh, so, but there are some things that we all need to bring to those spaces. And um, the two that I talk about the most are love and prayer. Um, if you bring love to every one of your relationships, every one of your interactions, you will get better outcomes. Now, look, none of us are perfect. You're not going to do it every time. The, the challenge in life and the, the purpose of that is to just do better today than you did yesterday and do better tomorrow than you do today. Um, so, you know, bring love to every one of your relationships and have a strong prayer life. Now, for me, prayer involves meditation as well. It's not just talking to God, but it's emptying the mind and clearing the mind in the moment so that you can receive from God. Um, it, it's restorative. Um, it's peaceful, it's calming, um, it has some health benefits as well, you know, some mental health benefits, uh, mental acuity benefits, but physical health benefits um, just by being peaceful. And if you do that, you make that a regular part of your life, you will, you will, not, re you will not react as much to things as you respond. And that's really where we want to be intentional. Uh, you know, if you're going to bring love to relationships, to interactions, it has to be intentional. You can't, you know, it takes a long time where to, to get to a place where you can react out of love to someone who's actively working against you. You know, that requires an intentional response because your natural response would be to be defensive or to go on the offense against them. So, so prayer, meditation allows a moment of peace, allows a moment of restoration, it has physical benefits, mental uh, benefits that can help you in those moments and allow you to to be better at bringing love to your interactions. I know there's a there's a list of things that people always pastors take a beating, <laughs> you know, with everybody politicians to too. Be, they want them to be and not necessarily you you can't be sometimes all things to all people. 
you know, and God calls us for our individual and separate, you know, abilities that he mm -hmm. has given us uh, to do. But I think you put that so well. And, you know, I'm looking back at your uh, bio. You were um, licensed in 2002 as a, as a Baptist minister, and then you became uh, the pastor of Ebenezer Church in Orange in, two, in 2012. And I'm looking at the things that you have accomplished with the help of your congregation uh, in a short period of time. You, you increased the community service of the church and especially, you know, my observance to what was going on through 2020 when we had were hit with the COVID pandemic and how, you know, your church remained operational as far as distribution, because that was a critical time for people getting food. There were food shortages and many things <sighs> going on. And um, you expanded the distribution through the food pantry and soup kitchen uh, to a weekly job fair. You had a weekly job fair uh, before, you know, even the pandemic uh, that was placed more over 3,000 people in employment since 2017. You had a provision of annual scholarships and support for students studying abroad, incubated two nonprofits, offered a free weekly math tutoring program, a court-ordered uh, diversionary community service program that has helped more than 100 individuals avoid jail time, among many other things. My goodness, no wonder you received uh, the NAACP award. And, and viewers, we're going to, uh, after, after uh, this, take a little break to share some insight into uh, Reverend Rutherford's, you know, leadership through Ebenezer Baptist Church, things that they do and are doing um, so that you can reach out, you know, if you want to, you know, help or, you know, become a part of or even join the church or whatever you would want to do so you can contact them. Uh, and, but, you know, thinking about all that you have done and you're still, you know, it's almost like, well, that's not enough. Some people get settled like, okay, we're doing this. But, you know, you're always like reaching for more. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, right now we are renovating a property uh, we own adjacent to the church um, to move the food pantry out of the church. The, the, this, the ex, uh, expansion of the food pantry during COVID that you just mentioned has really been too much wear and tear on the actual church building. I mean, there's plenty of time, like half of the month or two or three weeks out of the month, we have more than, you know, 15 or 20,000 pounds of food and inventory uh, to be distributed. We're at our peak, we were giving out uh, about 50,000 pounds of food per month. Right now we're down to about 33 on average. Um, but we're moving that to a separate property so that we can reclaim the church for what the church really needs it for. But even in doing that, we're adding some spaces so that we can serve the homeless people. So that's one of the things that I'm really uh, excited about. Um, we, we have a, a plan to um, bring homeless people in once a week. You know, there are several that we have gotten to know over the years in our neighborhood. Bring them in once a week, uh, give them breakfast, uh, allow them to take a shower, allow them to have their clothes laundered for them, feed them lunch. And then while they're there, um, meet with a social worker, uh, meet with uh, folks from the VA, um, you know, once a quarter, bring in a doctor or dentist or an eye doctor, a barber or hair a stylist, um, bring the services to them that they need to be able to move out of homelessness. So we're going to allow them to use our address as a home address so that they can apply for jobs, our phone number as their phone number so that they can apply for jobs. 
and have access to our computer, give them a, uh, an email address uh, so that they can actually fill out the online applications as well. And our plan is to help people get the services that they need so they can move out of homelessness back into being independent, self-sufficient, um, happy, healthy, and whole citizens. Well, I'm sure that plan is going to going to go over. It's already getting started. You've already spoken and it's already in the works. So we look forward to, you know, uh, to even getting updates on that. But I want to take a break for a moment, sure. just to share with the viewers a little bit of information about Reverend Rutherford and about Ebenezer Baptist Church. And we'll be right back. Don't go away. We're just going to share some something with you. We'll be right back. I know you all enjoyed, you know, just having some insight and looking at uh, Reverend Rutherford's leadership at Ebenezer Baptist Church and seeing what they are planning to do and what's going on. And it's a lot of excitement. And, you know, um, you know, Reverend Rutherford, you've gone, I'm looking at your church and seeing your online presence and seeing how um, the, your church, your membership is responds to your online services, your messages, your Bible class. And, you know, that was one of the things that many churches were trying to struggle through, how to make that transition, you know, from in-house service 
to being online because a lot of some people had online services, but they weren't streaming and things as they are now. Now people are equipping themselves to do both at the same time. How was it for you navigating from the pandemic, you know, and, and keeping church involvement? Because that was a that was no small feat for anyone. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it was the most stressful um, decision that I've made literally as a pastor. I was worried. We so, you know, we have been planning that we have been assuming that we were going to get shut down eventually. We, when the governor gave his order that all indoor activities had to cease, um, we had already planned to have a few of us go to the church and just record a service that Sunday. But then we we couldn't even gather together like that. So I stayed up. I, I agonized over it all night long. About four in the morning, uh, I was pacing. <laughs> I, I was pacing in my kitchen, around the island in my kitchen. If you've ever seen the service, you see where we do it. I was pacing around the island and um, I got a word from the Lord saying, just do it right here. Uh, so, you know, I, I reconciled myself. First off, I, I never wanted to be online. I, I'm not a social media type person like that. I don't like seeing myself in those spaces. I've gotten a little more accustomed to it now. Um, so I did not want to do it at all. And if I could have given it to someone else, I would have. Uh, but I got the word that morning. You, you do it right here. My wife and my daughters put together, you know, some devices that we've had, you know, a bunch of iPads and iPhones. And we just started Kitchen Table Baptist. Um, and it took off. Um, you know, it was amazing how we, you know, got a response right away. Now, the world has reopened and many people are going back to their own church and we don't get the same response that we once had, but we, uh, you know, in live uh, worship. Uh, but we do have a very faithful core of people who interact with each other virtually on Sunday morning, really share a lot of love uh, with each other. Um, you can feel the energy uh, and people really do respond well to it. Um, and so it's been a blessing. It, it allowed us to, uh, you know, stay. Actually, we had our best year ever in uh, 2020 uh, and then followed that in 2021. Um, you know, in my tenure, we've not done better numerically, spiritually, financially than we did during those two years. And we hope and pray and expect that 2022 will be the same way. And it's really because of the re response we've gotten from folks online, you know, around the state of New Jersey, around the country, even overseas. At one point, our broadcast was being translated into a, a, a ridiculous number of foreign languages. It's just amazing uh, the response that we received. So uh, it, is an, it is a core part of who we are now as a church. Uh, it will not go away. We've not uh, moved it from the 10 o'clock hour, even after we've reopened the church. Um, and we won't because people are used to coming together at 10 o'clock uh, on Facebook and Instagram uh, to gather with their friends and family and worship. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. That, that first Sunday was unbelievable. Um, but we survived and have, have grown since. Isn't that something? And I've heard from others, some pastors, how um, that they now have a digital congregation, like people who will never physically come to their church, but who are faithful 
online, faithful in their giving, faithful in their attendance. And we used to pray for the sick and the shut in, but now the sick and the shut in can be a part of the service easily on a phone, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. We have a group in Texas. We have a group in Virginia. We've got a group in Maryland. We've got a group in North Carolina. Uh, got a, a group in Georgia, my, my oldest sister and some of my family members down there. Um, you know, it's just people that it, they're connected virtually. They will probably never get to the actual building, but they come every week. They support uh, when we ask for financial support. They participate um, in the events that they can. So when it's time to do things virtually, they do it. Um, and we're planning actually a day of service as well so that, you know, around the country, wherever we are, we're going to put on our Ebenezer Baptist Church shirts and go out into the community and focus our uh, volunteer efforts on one specific uh, sector. But all of us will do it no matter where we are. Wow. That is amazing. That is really amazing. Um, have Since the things that you're doing now, have you had maybe other pastors who maybe who have not been in ministry uh, as long as perhaps you have. Um, and you having grown up at the feet of the, some of the best of them, you have a legacy in your family. Your father was a pastor. Yep. Was your grandfather also a pastor? My, my grandfather was a deacon, but uh, my dad is a pastor, yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure that you have um, gleaned so much from him that has been helpful. How has it kind of been having a father who was in ministry, you know, and is still in ministry at this time currently, right? He's not totally retired yet, is he? Well, he's not. I, it's my father, is, he won't stay still. Uh, so he's been retired for a number of years, but uh, he just recently accepted um, the um, position of interim pastor at Abyssinian Baptist Church in Newark. Uh, so even at his advanced age, and I won't say how old he is, but he's in great shape. He's probably in better shape than me. Um, he's still, you know, serving in different capacities. So I, I didn't really realize how much I had learned from him until I actually became a pastor. Um, and then, you know, again, it was revelatory for me when, uh, I, um, uh, you know, joined elected politics, um, you know, it, you know, if you grow up in a space, you just see things, it becomes normal to you. And then, uh, you know, when when it's not there, that's the abnormal. Um, and you can see what's missing and what's needed. Um, and I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, there there's some difficult relationships in politics. You know, politics is crazy. Mm. Um, you know, there are a lot of different interests. It doesn't mean somebody's right or wrong. And sometimes both of them can be right or both of them can be wrong. Uh, but we get entrenched in these ideas and just, you know, the the ability to go again and again and again, even when you're not wrong, even when you're not at fault, uh, go again and again and again and try to reconcile and, uh, you know, heal. Um, and then also to recognize when it's time to stop, uh, when you've done all that you can. You know, that's the lesson between, you know, you know, the, the, about the sheep, you know, not all of those members of the flock are sheep. Right. Some of them are goats. Yeah, yeah. And actually, some of them just aren't your sheep. They're sheep, but they're not your sheep. Right. They belong to another flock. They're not going to listen to you. And you you and understanding the difference and in, in extending yourself, you know, regardless of what it may look like or how people may feel about it, because in politics, there's a lot of power dynamics. 
but being willing to do that um, and also understanding when to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are lessons that I didn't get in the textbook. I didn't, you know, none of my professors in seminary, uh, you know, illuminated that for me. It's something I learned by watching my dad, you know, uh, Reverend Dr. Perry Simmons, um, uh, uh, Joe McClain, uh, Reverend Walker, uh, 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 Reverend Ford from Irvington, uh, you meant, uh, um, uh, was uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank now with all these <laughs> names, but I grew up with these guys. Uh, but these guys were like lions uh, when I was a child. You know, they were really on the forefront of creating something uh, powerful and important in the black community um, uh, that, you know, has lasted to this day. I mean, their impact still lives on. And, you know, watching how they navigated different spaces, you know, their own church, uh, church organizations, you know, the body politic or local politics. Um, watching that and seeing that up close taught me some things that I never would have learned, you know, just reading in a book. Can, can I say one more thing about that? Oh, you definitely, know, please. We, 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 we're talking about, you know, pastors and politics, essentially. A, a lot of our conversations around that. You know, Raphael Warnock, Senator Raphael Warnock, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, United States Senator, state of Georgia. Um, this gentleman has he has he has proven that it is possible to stay in in, in, a, in the modern world because we've not had a pastor politician at a high level in a long time, and I don't claim to be at a high level, uh, but it shows that it can be done, and if it can be done at a high level, it can be done at any level. He's been able to maintain his integrity his pastoral leadership, his role in the community, his touch and feel for the families he serves on Sunday, as well as the, you know, millions of constituents he serves throughout the state of of Georgia. And he's been able to do that effectively in his short tenure. I would expect him to continue to be effective, um, but it shows that that kind of heart, that kind of training, you know, love and care for the people, um, under, but also understanding of politics and power dynamics um, can really make a difference both on the local level uh, and in Washington, D.C. One of the things I think that um, the church or needs to be addressed because it's being questioned is as far as the young adults, what adults, oh. what's going on today and um how they're kind of, I don't want to say, but disenchanted with the church or kind of what we're doing, you know, being out in the forefront of a lot of things. How can we, I don't know, win them back or uh, get them to re-engage more with the church? So we have a better engagement virtually than we do in person um, with that particular demographic. But One of the things we're trying now um, is uh, a a different kind of Bible study. Uh, And I know that may sound funny, but really, I I don't even, I I use Bible study as the way to characterize it. I'm not even sure that it's an accurate characterization. Um, We sit down, it's just a bunch of, you know, younger people. I think the youngest member of that group is 26. No, I'm sorry, 2022. The youngest member of that group is 22. 
And the oldest member, aside from me, uh, is uh, 30, late 30s, 38, 39, somewhere around there, 36, 30, somewhere around there. So it's a group of 20 and 30 year olds. And we just have real talk. We take a topic and we talk about it from a biblical perspective. Sometimes we quote, quote scripture, but not usually. Um, and it, it was, it's really been born out of conversations that have just come up after church or after choir rehearsal uh, or, you know, via text message or on the phone, you know, dealing with different things. And I speak to them in a way that um, is not traditional, uh, is not dogmatic at all. Uh, I am not in, in the sense of traditional religion, religious. You know, I am spiritual. And I try to keep it real with them. You know, they see through the BS and they don't, they have access to a level of information that you and I did not have growing up. And so they're, they're not really going to just follow something for the sake of following it. It has to withstand scrutiny. It has to pass muster. And if it doesn't, they're not going to latch on. So we're, we're trying this. It's a new thing for us. Uh, and it's a way to kind of meet that need um, for some spiritual guidance and grounding without all of the religious protocol and, you know, titles and, you know, things like that. Uh, um, I expect it to be successful. I don't know exactly how successful, uh, but I do think, you know, if you're going to meet, th meet this generation's need, you've got to do it in a way that they can receive it. Um, what worked yesterday is not going to work today. And if we don't change, we're going to continue to see the trends going the way that they're going. And there won't be a good church or a strong church, you know, just in a few years. That that definitely is, is well put. And um, uh, many pastors are, are finding ways because there are a lot of uh, false teachings, you know, <laughs> that are going on that are captivating the minds because so many of our uh, young people, while they were... Uh, in church, um, some of the things that they should, scriptural things that could have been challenged, uh, they weren't taught how to answer, have an answer, reasonable answer for the hope and sense that lies within them. So, I mean, now that um, there are so many um, scholarly theologians and apologists uh, in the black and brown community now that are very forceful in putting out information that they can, you know, ascertain and receive that is giving hope to them for many of the things that they didn't, you know, know before or didn't search out before, you know, to know that. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm excited about, <laughs> about that. Uh, many of the things that are, that are going on. You, you look like you want to say something, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, you know, we, we live in a digital age. Mm -hmm. um, and bad news sells very well. Yeah. So, you know, what we're competing with, you know, we've, we've got a market. Now, that's where we've fallen short, too. I'm not a market. You know, we do a lot of work, but we don't take selfies when we do it. Like, th this is one of the, you know, few times that I, you know, I tout the horn of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I, I've been trying to do it more so that the story can be told and people can understand where to find some help when they need it. But we're not flashy. We're not in that digital age. And we're going to have to adapt and adopt to that because we're competing with messages that are flashy, that are very, you know, very polished, very, they're, uh, they have a high production quality. 
um, and folks are, are able to distill some really um, interesting points down to a few words and they catch you when you scroll and you learn just enough to be dangerous or they, they teach you just enough to lead you down a rabbit hole to some negative uh, or something that's not quite true. Uh, and we're competing with that. So we're going to have to get good at our craft too if we want the message to continue to go out. Now, there's some traditionalists that don't want to do that. They want to speak what thus saith the Lord. Uh, and I understand, but if you don't do it in a way that people can catch it in 30 seconds and then decide if they want to follow more, we're going to miss an entire generation of young people. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I want to give a shout out as I speak about that, because I, <laughs> if, if, if there's something I know, I really want to share it. And this is with viewers um, who may have questions. We've had um, uh, some been fortunate enough to have uh, several apologists on the well who are well able and well equipped to address a lot of things. But there is a program on Instagram and online. You can get on YouTube. It's the Jew 3 uh, Project with uh, Lisa Fields, who is one of the great young African-American apologists who has a program. And she's been dealing with millennials and young adults that people giving them opportunities. It's, a, it, it's such a great show that she has on every single week. And the people she has on are so scholarly without question, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, so I refer a lot of young adults and a lot of people to go to Jew3 Project. Any question that they have, anything that they, has been discussed and they share in depth and with a listening ear. Um, so uh, any pastor who may not know where there is a safe place to send, you know, uh, adults, young adults, or anyone with any kind of theological question, or, you know, there are a lot of uh, different groups that are cropping up in the community. Um, while we respect all other religious groups, we may not, as you say, we don't agree with them, but th we ought to be able to have a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us. And when we're speaking to whether it's Hebrew Israelites or other, you know, different groups, there is an answer, you know, and a solid answer. And um, so I would uh, encourage anyone <laughs> to just. So when you, when you say that, I, 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 I want to be clear. I think what you're talking about are the, um, the black uh, Israelites or the black Hebrews, those, those guys that do the soapbox stuff, um, you know, that, so we, we've had in encounters with them too. Mm -hmm. um, and they do come from a place in the word, but it's a twisted understanding, uh, violent and destructive. Exactly. And if you're not equipped for that argument, you're going to be in trouble. Oh, yeah. And even if you are equipped, you could still be in trouble. Trouble. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. It, it, if they, and, and the thing about it is if they want to engage, if they want to engage, you know, on a, on, on a, on a professional, you know, level, that's fine. But I'm, I'm not saying get out there and have a street fight over <laughs> you know, over and any you, of that. You've got to be very careful. You've yeah. got to be very careful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what else they do, but yeah. I've seen some of that. I used to work in New York City and they would be right outside of World Trade Center. Um, and, you know, it, it would be a very uh, high risk environment, say yeah. it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know that um, Dr. Uh, Mason from Philadelphia uh, had um, at his church a kind of one-time 
of their top leadership come to have a somewhat of a debate, a discussion as to mm -hmm. um, the the scriptures uh, and the African presence in the Bible, as opposed to what some of them were teaching. And Dr. Vince Bantu, who is a phenomenal scholar in the languages, one of the few people in the, I would say in the world who speaks um, not just the Hamitic languages, uh, about five or six of these different languages that he has um, actually translated uh, scripture from Egypt, you know, and Ethiopia uh, to show what it is. He's also a professor at Fuller University where he's teaching as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it, it's it's a, it's absolutely amazing, you know, um, the facts that are you can't argue against that are there. That as a Christian and as an African American, uh, you know, a Christian believer, how positive it is and how reinforcing it is in your faith, um, uh, because we think some of the things, a lot of the things that uh, we're not saying that, um, trying to say that though there is a lesser white presence in scripture, we're not saying that it's all, you know, uh, black presence as we all, but that there's a multitude of all peoples. <laughs> and well, well, the message resonates for humanity. Yeah. Um, and, and I think yeah. there are oppressed peoples everywhere. So, um, but, but to your point, and I want to be clear, you know, uh, what Dr. Mason did, you know, when I say be careful, that doesn't mean we ignore them or oh. write them off. Um, there, there are brothers and sisters too. Um, and if you're serious about your faith, and this is where people get in trouble in, in mm -hmm. public arenas, if you're serious about your faith, you know, it says, love your enemy, mm -hmm. pray for those that despitefully use you. So that means, and, and these aren't necessarily our enemies. So, mm -hmm. but if you can love your enemy and pray for those that despitefully use you, you've got to love everybody mm -hmm. and pray for everybody, yeah. right? which means people that you don't agree with as well. Yes. Right. You got to engage. Them. Yes. And that, that engagement was so well done um, and, and respectful. And you can go online on YouTube to see it, um, how it was carried out on both sides. I mean, because it was an invitation to Pastor Mason's church for their people yeah. to come. And it was really, I, I was proud on both parts, you know, that to see that people that they could engage, even there were like two opposing uh, views and how they could come together and actually, you know, speak facts <laughs> to each other and and see where maybe some fall short, you know, and that someone's eyes would be enlightened. So it was a good, it was such a great dialogue. And so that anybody could see. Um, and, well, that's community building work. Yeah, it is. And, and that's what he's basically doing and, um, uh, and, and encouraging many to do you know, to do likewise and, and making resources so that they can be equipped to do it. And, and that's what right. they're trying to do. And I thought that was pretty, you know, pretty phenomenal. But um, back to the point of young people is because we don't want to <laughs> lose yeah. them. We want them to be strengthened because we know right. it's a statistical fact that we do lose many when they go off to college because of uh, not being prepared. And also seeing so many things of what some of the evangelical communities have done to destroy, you know, their faith in what they believe. It's like, wait a minute, I thought we were all one. <laughs> and now, you know, to see um, so much of the racism and things that uh, we thought that um, 
they wouldn't participate in to have them participate in. And uh, so it caused them, you know, to kind of. So, so that's certainly discouraging. But, you know, in addition to that, young people, they want if, if, if the Supreme Court overrides Roe v. Wade, they want to know what God says about it. Yeah. They want to know what their pastor, what their church stands for in regard to that. When, when there are mass shootings, they want to know. Right. And, and, and when there are issues that affect them, they don't want the church to be hypocritical. And that will cause them to leave. And many of them will never come back. Yeah. Right. So you got to be real with the folks. Mm -hmm. and, and that involves a vulnerability and a humility um, that is not easy to uh, embrace as a leader. You know, one, one of the things that I tell my people all the time, I am not perfect. I, I started out my, you know, even when we were in, uh, when, when, when Ebenezer was interviewing me and in other churches that interviewed me, look, I'm not perfect. I, I have, I have done some things in my life and I've got a testimony. Now, you know, I use those things as content for Bible study. It's a part of, it's a part of my faith journey. But if you, if you try to present that you're holier than thou mm. or that you're better than somebody else, you know, look, there's some people that want their pastor to be on a pedestal, but these young folks do not. Mm -mm. And they don't believe in putting anybody on a pedestal. They think we're all the same and they, they embrace a, 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 a commonality and a, a neighborly love uh, that I think is, is hopeful in that community. Uh, that younger person community. Um, and that's something that we can tap into and highlight and build on if we want them to, you know, embrace a faith journey too. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, there, there's, there's always so much to discuss, but I certainly appreciate what you have shared with us today and all that you have enlightened us on and, and, you know, your transparency, because I think that's what is needed. Yeah. Because all yeah. have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even Absolutely. The put, even the people we think we put on a pedestal, you know. If Jesus right. everybody's got a story. I mean, if Jesus said there's none righteous, no, no, not, not one. one. That's right. <laughs> Why even pretend? Because the things that you know that we fall short in are even to his glory that he builds us up and he still carries us. I mean, it's just you know, it, the message is so great. It's just, you don't need to pretend. It's, it's, you know, it's so. And if you really understand it on a, on a, on a very fundamental level, right? So church has been used, religion has been used to create guilt in people, to guilt mm -hmm. people into doing certain things. Mm -hmm. But when you understand it on a very fundamental level, you realize that you've already been forgiven for even stuff you haven't done yet, mm -hmm. right? Jesus paid the price once for all for all people, for all time. So you've already been forgiven. All you got to do is accept it, right? And then and forgive yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be free of that baggage, right? And that's how you live your best life. You, you not, not doing things because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't, right? Or, or you're afraid of, of, of what the consequences will be in some afterlife, but doing things because you know you are empowered, and led, inspired by the spirit of the living God to do those things. And even if you make a mistake, as long as you come from a place of love, everything will be all right. 
And we have an advocate. <laughs> yes. Because you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. Inevitably. Just know. Yes. What, yeah. what do we need a cross for if we're not? <laughs> oh, exactly. But I am so glad. I, I'm so thankful um, for your, you know, being here with us. And as we get ready to close out, I want to ask you if there are any closing remarks or anything you'd like to say to the viewers, whether they're pastors or just lay persons uh, of encouragement. And then when you're finished, I'll ask you to close us out with prayer. Sure. I just want to give a big shout out to our virtual EBC community, especially Sister Carolyn Caldwell for making the introduction. I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Allen, for your graciousness and for inviting me on the program. I hope we've been uh, together with this program, been helpful to someone. And uh, I do pray that your ministry continues to grow. Um, but but thank you for having me. And I look forward to, to even more of this in the future. Wishing you much success with the well. Uh, and certainly I'm a fan myself. Well, thank you so much. And it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you here today. And we wish all of the Lord's blessings upon you, that they'll just continue to run and overtake you and that you will continuously follow the glory cloud in your life. Because you know what? God has amazing things, you know, that he calls for us to do. And um, all we have to do is have the faith to do it, to take a step Amen. at it step into it. So I thank you so much for taking a step of faith, a step of faith and being on the well today. And it was my you, pleasure. And I'll ask you to close us out in prayer. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for gathering us together. Those of us that are here uh, virtually, dear God, wherever we may be physically, we trust your, your pow the power of your presence is felt in every single home, dear God. We ask that you inspire our minds and our hearts, empower us, dear God, to live for you, to do our very best work, dear God, to become our very best selves, uh, that your name might get the glory it deserves, and that someone might be saved, someone might be helped in their journey as well. Use us, dear God, to be the change we'd like to see. Use us, dear God, uh, to help our neighbors and our friends, our family, dear God, in their faith journey, and then show up in our lives, Lord, that we might know we're on the right path, that we might know which way to go and what you'd have us to do. That's our prayer, Lord. We just want to glorify your name. We want to live for you, dear God. And we know that that expression is the greatest expression of ourselves. So inspire us, free us, that we might do that in our everyday walk, that your name might get the glory it deserves and your people might be served. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, viewers. Thank you for being with us again around the well. We'll be looking for you next week. Same time, same place. And until then, we ask you to stay safe and be well. God bless you. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> Take care.